Oh, wait. I didn't do an intro because I didn't want to just, like, do it by myself. So, um, we have to do that before we start. Do you want to do the intro? Um, I kind of did a... Not... I don't even know if it was an... Sorry, this chair is really squeaky and it's probably going to be in the recording. Um, okay, I'll just... I'll just say it. Um, okay, welcome to episode six of Gun Girl's Diaper, where we talk about real shit. Um, I'm Bailey, and my co-host is Will Margulis, and his birthday was yesterday, so happy late birthday to Will, even though I said happy birthday on his birthday, so it's not actually happy happy late birthday, but, like, now it's happy late birthday. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) There you go. uh, I appreciate the happy birthday and the late happy birthday. <laughs> yes, of course. You're welcome. Bailey um, actually wrote me a very sweet card and gave me a drawing with my name, like a drawing of my name, and it's so sick, and I love it very much. So. Thank you. Um, yeah, I like it, too. It was really cute. I was really proud of it. Like, I I did it, like, last week, two weeks, yeah, last week. And I was just so proud of it. I just kept staring at it. And my sisters were like, yeah, it's good. I was like, I know. You don't have to tell me. <laughs> <laughs> and then and then, uh, my gift to Bailey was showing up 40 minutes late for this recording today because Lakers and Clippers was on. And I wanted to see the end of that game. Yeah. Hey, it's okay. Um, <laughs> any hoozies. So let's, let's, I mean, let's just jump it. into it. Like, what do you, do you want to start with the essay? Do you want to start with um, the 13th, which I know you have watched and are a fan of? We can, but um, also, I already forgot the the layout of today's episode that you explained, but I was uh-huh. just going to briefly talk about what Trump has been tweeting about, which oh, is so cute. yeah. That um, is what I said, should we, is what we should do. So, Yes. Nice one. Good yeah. Up. Nice. Um, okay. <laughs> so, okay, I'm looking at this, and it says June 22nd. Oh, wait, actually, because I saw something today. Okay, so basically, this is what I want to talk about. So, Trumpito, as Will calls him, um, was tweeting about how the, basically, the, the election is going to be rigged if everyone of... Uh, votes by mail ballots um Uh which isn't true um and he was saying that like hey should we move it should we like move election day like delay it um and then everyone with brains was like no red heart emoji because first of all that's not how that works and also (laughs) that would like have to result in a change of law which i'm pretty sure was like an old like fucking eighteen sixty four or some shit, like that you can't just move it. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> um, but anyway, I just wanted to comment on it and say I I'm sure this has been said before, but Trump is uh an absolute fucking idiot and he just doesn't know how things work and he's incompetent. You guys all know this. I I hope that you're using your um you're drinking your big brain juice and know that already. But I just wanted to put that on the podcast and say that. He is a fucking idiot. Um, and anything he says that, like, comes out of his mouth just isn't true. Like, he makes all these claims on the on the daily. Um, more than half of them are wrong. So, I just wanted to start off by 
by saying that, hey, how y'all doing? Where was I? Trump's an idiot. I think that's all I wanted to say. I think that's where you were. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. um, That's that's, really it. I just wanted to say that that was funny that he was like, oh, my God, it's going to be rigged if we vote by mail. Can we just move election day? Can we just move it? Like, <laughs> can we just move it? Because I don't want it to be rigged. And I just know this man is setting up for this situation when he loses for obvious reasons. He's going to be like, oh, yes. it's rigged. I knew this was going to happen. I knew this was going to happen. It's because of Corona. It's because of the mail-in ballots. And then we're just right. going to have to be like, oh, okay, sweetie. Okay. Bye. Like, yes, <laughs> it was it was rigged. Okay. And just like kind of pat him on, on the shoulder. Exactly. I I, I, I do fear. <laughs> <laughs> I do fear for that scenario a little bit just because in in one sense there's no precedent for and uh for a president just being like, Well, I think this election was rigged, so let's redo it. I mean the the thing is nobody knows what he wants to do after the election if he says it's rigged like you can say it's rigged but then what you want to have another one do you want to just take office for another four years like depending on what he wants to do i think um the more realistic the thing he wants to do is the more of a chance he'll actually have of getting it done and you know Normally, for any logical system of government, I would say that there's no way a president could just say he didn't like an election and they would do something about it. But the expansion of, you know, uh, executive power under Trump has been so great that honestly, at this point, anything is kind of possible because he's already done so much shit that has no precedent. Um, And... You know, precedent is given a lot of weight in legal and governmental issues. So, I don't know. It's um, we just kind of have to wait and see at this point. Yeah, he fucking sucks. Um, very true. That's it. Next caller. <laughs> next, next caller. Next caller. Okay. Now that I um, I was gonna say I woke up my whole family, but they're like just not going to sleep. So. Any hizzies. Um, okay. <laughs> We're gonna talk about... Um, Prisons? Prison tings. So, we have some fun percentages that I'm pretty sure a lot of people know already. But, um, just in cases. So, the United States only has... Five percent of the world's population, which is so mm-hmm. funny because like I Ava and I were talking about this. We're just like the U.S. is not that big, like <laughs> like compared to the world or like fucking Russia. Like we're just like oh, who yeah. are we? We're like so like shut the fuck up. We're so small. Okay, I think um, we think America is really big because of our imperial like military presence. Like just that we have like bases oh, in every yeah. single country and we have like colonies and shit that's true we just love holding down other populations for no reason um so 
Jesus Christ. There's been a 500% increase in the incarcerated population since 1980. Nice. Mm-hmm. It costs more than $60 mm-hmm. billion dollars a year to hold such a large number of people in prisons. Obviously, that costs money. Okay. Um, that means that large prisons spend an average of $100,000 a year per prisoner. Nice. Mm-hmm. Also... This is going to be everywhere. There's so much. Like, anytime I would talk about prisons, I'm like, oh, my God. Like, we could talk about private prisons. We could talk about how uh, the fucking death penalty is, like, ineffective and it's just a waste of money. And a lot of people sit on death row and nothing happens. And it's just, like, literally such a fucking waste of resources. And it doesn't reverse any crimes or or um, doesn't, like, reduce rates of recidivism. Anyway, mm-hmm. um, let's see. Just stick to stick to one thing for now. Let's just like dive into one okay. thing. You said wait, okay. you said that um we only have five percent of the world's population, but then you didn't say what percentage of the world's incarcerated population. Oh sorry, I skipped that. Okay, it's twenty five percent. Which oh, is a lot. Jesus. And also okay, it's I fucking crazy. I, I think it's in my doc about why I'm not voting for Trump. But there's uh-huh. like a breakdown of uh, race and how it just we been new but how it disproportionately yeah. affects <laughs> black people but i there it says like they're the population of uh black americans and then the percentage that they make up in prisons and i want to find that one because that one's really good um, okay i mean not good obviously but like <laughs> yeah it's good at re- <laughs> representing my point okay okay there are 2.3 million people in the American criminal justice system. Black people make up 40% of those incarcerated, but only make up 13% of the U.S. population. It's wild. It's so fucked. And, of course, there are multiple peer-reviewed empirical studies that not just suggest, but confirm the fact that uh, black individuals get uh, worse sentences and longer sentences for the same crimes as white people and other races. Uh, maybe it's just comparing them to white people. I'm not sure. But, uh, you know, racism in the criminal justice and the prison system is like, what's something that's been ingrained in something for a long time? It's like layups in basketball. Like, it's been there forever. Yeah. Um, okay. I have a section for, like, it's called Profiting Off of Crime, and this is where I talk about, um, for-profit prisons, where Uh people, like, literally benefit from putting more people in jail, even if there's not a lot of crime happening. Like, these are, like, some dumb offenses that, like, people are having really harsh punishments for. Because... What do you mean by that? Like uh, dumb offenses. <laughs> um, just like nonviolent. Well, I mean, it's not dumb to like break the law, but like, <laughs> um, <laughs> but the like the just the punishment doesn't fit the crime because they just want to have people filling up the prisons, like because they get more money for like people who have like longer sentences and like. Right. Yeah. So um, the incentive for in private prisons for locking somebody up isn't actual safety of the public. It's just strictly monetary. Yeah. 
Not um, that the prison systems have ever been concerned for the safety of the public, but... Period. Uh, so inmates have longer sentences on sanitary conditions and are subject, subject to brutal violence and abuse, um, like, more so than in government prisons. Oh, damn. Um, because there's, like, a general, like, lack of regulation because it's, like, privately owned. So they could, right. like, literally spend the least amount of money to maintain it and to, like, barely keep people alive just because it's obviously, like, profit over people. Right. Which, like, and- is has never been a solution for... Like, really, the whole point of prisons is to, like, keep the public safe or whatever the fuck. But, like, if you're just... If there's if there's nothing else to, like... Like, th- there's no programs to help people get back up on their feet. So, there's certain things that are supposed to, like, result from incarceration besides just, like, oh, you were bad. Like, now you have to be punished. Like, I mean, punishment is, like, part of it. Um... But also, like, the correction factor is just not at all considered in, I mean, really in government prisons, not all of them, but, like, it's in private prisons especially, like, there's just no, um, there's, like, no programs to help people, like, afterwards. And, like, even if there there was, like, there's so many, like, obstacles for people to, like, fucking get jobs or, like, get a loan or vote like you literally can't do shit after you've gone to jail like you're basically like stripped down to like nothing because you're not really seen as like a citizen anymore because you're you're like there's just so many obstacles um which is absolutely bonkers because like you already did your time which I'm sure is like enough (laughs) like going to prison (laughs) like is enough punishment but um just the fact that like it's it's so hard to just get your fucking life together after that because like you're rejected from literally everything like right and it's astonishing kind of because you kind of grow up with the impression and maybe this is just me like i I don't know if you feel this too but you kind of grow up with the impression that prisons are for um reform isn't the right word uh maybe it is reform like um, you know, people come in, they do a crime, they go to prison, and then they come out and they don't do crimes anymore. So they're, because they don't do crimes, they're a valid person. That's a very problematic ideology to have if you, if you think yeah. criminals aren't valid people. But a lot of people do think that way. Um, but in every level of society and of um, uh, business and... Um, Oh my god. I've been forgetting so many words recently. Like it's really bad. It's really It really must bad. be those those um young witches that put a hex on the moon. Like everyone's just off. <laughs> what? <laughs> Who put a hex on oh, the moon? Oh, you're not on you're not on um witch TikTok. But basically I, I haven't um, been on TikTok in a in a minute, Loki. But tell me about witch TikTok. I mean that's that's kind of it. That's just like <laughs> some young they witches just... <laughs> got together and they put a hex on the moon and now everything's fucked so <laughs> oh, okay they, you know what yeah. that makes me feel a lot more confident in my speaking abilities <laughs> yes <laughs> but what I was going to say is every level of government and society and bureaucracy is the word I was looking for um, we treat 
criminals as if they are condemned and as if they are not even second-class citizens, but just straight-up not citizens. Um, I don't know if it's like a citizen's right to vote. I'm pretty sure that's somewhere in the Constitution um, that every citizen should have a right to vote. But if you're a felon, you don't have the right to vote. So the amount of rights that you can be denied for having committed a crime is ludicrous, especially if we want to consider prisons as a system for reform, which I think is what people grow up thinking, at least. Yeah, like literally after you do time, like you can't, you have limited access to like welfare, public housing, jobs, loans, like literally everything. And then they expect you to like not go back to a life of crime. But but like also, how are you going to survive? Like in my essay, I talked about... um. What's his name? I have to find it. Uh, oh, his name was Rudy Holder, and he was an ex-convict, or is an ex-convict and ex-gang member. Um, and because of, like, uh, after being incarcerated, like, he didn't have access to all those things. Um, he was, like, very tempted to return to, like, gang activity just to be able to, like, have food on his plate. Um, like, just to live. Like, I just don't understand, like, what... Like, how does that make sense to anyone? Like, oh, okay, we're right. gonna, like, we're gonna punish them. Like, that's part of it. But as soon as they get out, like, they won't have access to literally anything. And and then we expect them to like pay taxes and somehow get a job and like contribute to to society when we've taken off like so many years of their life and they like don't have any skills and now they have to check off this box on any application for anything that says if they're if they've if they're like a felon or if they've been incarcerated or it's just fucking ass. Exactly. Um, And think about how dehumanizing that is to have to, like you said on the, on the job applications, describe yourself and base your projected identity as felon. Like, especially because you know, that's the first thing they're going to look at because 90% of, you know, job applications I mean, I'm just making this up, but, like, it's the most noticeable thing on a job application. Is like, is this person declare, does this person have to declare themselves as a felon or not? Like, and just to to be forced to fill that box out must just be so terrible for somebody's psyche. Yeah, for real. Not to mention like, also- not getting the job. Yeah. Um... I forgot, I think it was, I'm going to bring up um, Rachel, Miss Rachel, my my fave. Um, mm-hmm. Queen. She was talking about how, Queen Rachel, um, <laughs> she's talking about how Bernie was talking about, like, getting rid of that box on stuff, or, like, letting, uh, like, ex-convicts vote. Um, uh-huh. And... Like, this is what I don't, I don't really like about Republicans. <laughs> Not mm-hmm. to generalize, um, <laughs> but I'm going to. Yeah, go ahead. It's, it's our podcast. Everyone can fuck off. Um, <laughs> she was saying that, like, oh, so now a terrorist, if they wanted to vote, they can make decisions for this country. I was like, that oh is the most 
ignorant shit. Like, let's talk about fucking, fucking hell. Like, literally anyone who's been to jail over some, like, literally possession of marijuana. Like, you can't vote after that. And also, like, how, how much, what is the percentage of uh, inmates that are terrorists? (laughs) And like come <laughs> yeah. out of jail, like how like if they're a terrorist, I heavily doubt that they're going to have like a three year sentence, and then they're just exactly. gonna come out and vote. Like, um, <laughs> like I just don't know if that's like an actual problem. Like I think the actual problem is that, um, like the population of prisons is disproportionately black people, so that when they do come out, that that's a lot of. It's just like it's. It's really frustrating because it's so obvious, like, first of all, that that uh, black people are disproportionately, like, literally targeted, um, mm-hmm. and they're in jail for, like, marijuana possession when it's literally legal, and, like, white people are, like, profiting off of it and, like, making cute commercials about it when, like, mm-hmm. black people have, like, long-ass sentences for it, um, and then when they get out, they're like, oh, we can't let um, ex-convicts vote, like, they're terrorists, um <laughs> what a like, what a terrible argument for that position. <laughs> like I cannot think of a worse argument. That's like oh my god. Imagine imagine if we had a bunch of terrorists running the country because we let them vote. Like how many terrorists are there? Really? In the in the US, how many terrorists are there? You know what population is a lot has a lot more people uh, the population of low-level drug offense individuals, individuals who are locked up for low-level drug offenses and will never be able to vote again because of low-level drug offenses. That is a big population. That's the population we're concerned exactly. about. Yeah. <sighs> it's just so transparent that, like... It's just Ignorance. It's like ignorance with like the little sparkly emojis next to it. <laughs> um, no, it is. It is. Yeah. Totally I mean, there's so much with that. Like, I'm gonna I'm gonna be listening to this episode tomorrow morning and be like, God damn, what a stupid bitch! Like, I have so much to say about this, but the, the hex on the moon just. <laughs> <laughs> Don't worry. I'm gonna I'm gonna edit out all your awkward pauses, and you're gonna sound really really intelligent i hope so um not that you don't sound really really intelligent right now or all the time but just to make sure that's okay i do have off days um (laughs) i talked a lot about um like what it could look like uh if there were to be like educational programs in like all prisons so that if people like like once they do get out that they'll actually like be able to get like their or they'll have their GED because I I think hold on I had a stat and I just lost it nice 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 <laughs> you didn't lose it the hex lost it the fucking hex <laughs> goddamn hex goddamn goddamn <laughs> okay um, according to the National Reentry Resource Center, only half of all incarcerated adults have a high school degree or the equivalent. 
So the combination of a lack oh hello. Thank you, gravity. Just drop my glasses. Um Okay, hello. Uh, uh, uh lost it again. Nice. Oh, um, just like the combination of a lack of education prior to like being imprisoned and then not being able to continue an education. I mean, adding on to the fact that, like, you went to prison, like, mm-hmm. that just, it's just not the best setup, yes. obviously. <laughs> and the um, thing is, like, you have to have both, right? You can't just take away all the restrictions on um, ex-cons and felons within, uh, you know, the workforce and then not give them education within the prisons and you also can't give them education within the prisons but not take away all of the barriers that they have within the workforce it has to be on both sides in order to be effective yeah i i also we were talking about this the other day too like we're just so confused how us 19 year olds are connecting more dots than <laughs> people who are in power now I mean I don't know though because like I know that there's a lot of people that are actually aware of prison reform and like there's just so much that needs to be done Mm -hmm. um and like literally reversed and it's just going to take like a lot of time and energy and probably funding um I mean that funding could come from demilitarizing everything Mm -hmm. um (laughs) But... Or socializing healthcare. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. There are really so many things that we spend money on in this country that have zero benefits to the actual people of the country. Like it's kind of astonishing. Yeah. Can I can I drop a and it's not a prison fact, it's just a, a this country sucks fact, real quick. Yes, very much. So part of that um I think it was the first uh, coronavirus uh, stimulus bill was uh, $1 trillion into the stock market. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we, we say all the time, oh, we can't spare, um, you know, $500 billion for, to institute um, universal health care in this country. We can't do that. That would be too expensive. That's an argument that you hear a lot. First of all, it's not even true because we would actually save money. But even if we did have to spend... $500 billion for universal health care in this country, that would give like 30 million people health care. Like it would give them health care to 30 million people. Yeah. And that is, that is a, a, um, a God, I just, my vocabulary has completely been demolished in the past two days. A tangible effect that is something you can grab a hold of and say we did this right yeah and you know the the numbers you hear are like 500 billion 300 billion like that's the cost quote-unquote cost that republicans complain about right then they draft up an agreement that puts one trillion so twice that amount dollars into the stock market my brain does not even understand that number now, now hold on a second. Now hold on, hold on a second. You you would think that oh the stock market is an indication of our economy. Oh the stock market is very important Stocks. because everybody 
Stonks, exactly. <laughs> because everybody... My, my biggest contribution to this conversation, stonks. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Thank you, Bailey Silover. Uh, I greatly Thank appreciate much. that contribution. Um, you would think that, oh, everybody owns a stock or two. Like, that's probably important to the American public. 90% of the entire stock market is owned by the richest 10%. Of Americans, so we put nine hundred billion dollars into the richest ten percent, and a hundred billion into the rest. Literally, eat the rich, and I live by that. Literally, eat the rich. Also, the stock market didn't respond to it at all and kept falling after. So, if 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 any Republican ever says that. We don't have the money to fund social programs. They're an idiot. <laughs> Very I just much. want to put that out there. Um, also, social programs like... Uh, sorry, I'm, I'm totally just cut you no, off. No, it's but okay. Social okay. programs like putting education in prisons, for example, to bring it back. Yes. Okay. Um, so, if we did have, like, education in prison systems, um, it would save taxpayers um not me because i don't make enough money to pay taxes yet because i gang have gang. to my name <laughs> but you know <laughs> about it um it would save taxpayers over 24 million dollars a year because uh of the rate that education would reduce recidivism which means like oh. uh you know doing some crimes again after you just got out of jail. So, um, just be like, oh, like, what? <laughs> um, <laughs> let me answer your question, which is what, question mark? Um, okay, <laughs> so according to, <laughs> this is so messy, um, a 2005, actually, oh, sorry, okay, the Institute for Higher Education Policy, um, cited that recidivism rates for incarcerated people who were in prison education programs were on average 46% lower than the rates of people who were not able or did not take college classes. So at almost 50% lower recidivism rates, there's a clear correlation between education and the likelihood of committing crimes or being a reoffender. So that would literally send, I mean, hello, save $24 million a year. <laughs> Period. And, um, Bailey, is there a... Do we have a problem with recidivism in this country? Very much. I don't have... Do I have numbers on that? You definitely have numbers. It's... There's 100% a section in the essay about recidivism. Okay, 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 wait. I'm pretty Um, sure. Command effing. Hold on. (laughs) (laughs) I need to get a new chair. This is just so fucking squeaky. It's just not it. (laughs) Okay, well, more than a third of all prisoners, um, according to Bur- the Bureau of Justice Stats, um, 37%, hello, I literally cannot fucking finish a train of thought, more than a third of all prisoners were, re- were arrested within five years of their release. Wow. So, there it is. turns out that the prisons don't actually make 
communities safer. Because it's in order to go to prison, author and producer John Green calls a massive seventy-five million dollar per year failed experiment. Very <laughs> much. Because, like, you know, you could say, "Oh, well, that means that sixty-three uh, percent of prisoners don't go back within five years," but like. Thirty-seven percent do, and it's thirty-seven percent of how? How many? Two million? One million? People in prison? Um, Two point three billion people, I think. Hold on. Two billion? I don't think. I don't think there's two point three billion people in prison. Yeah, you're right. Can this fucking work? Maybe it's it's two point three million, right? Yeah. 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 Yeah, so 37% what the of... fuck is wrong with my computer? <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, 63% don't go back within five years. But 37% do. That's a lot of people. Like, you wouldn't say that... If, if the numbers were like 5% and 95%, like 5% go back, that would be like, okay, that's still a lot of people, but, you know, it's percentage-wise, it's pretty damn good. But it's 37%, 37% go back within five years. Like, that is not success. If you think that's success, you're wrong. <laughs> yeah. Um... And also, like, there are just so many ways, easy ways, that we can reduce recidivism. We just don't consider that a goal nationally. Also, like, it's just common sense that the solution isn't just, like, punishment. Because people are saying, oh, like, you know, harsher punishment is going to, it's, like, deterrence. Like, oh, obviously people aren't going to want to commit crimes because if they get caught, then it's a harsh punishment. But, like, obviously, because if you look at any of the crime rates in any fucking state that's not really true um (laughs) exactly like even like i don't know it's just like the solution isn't deterrence because we've tried that it's been how long since we've had prison systems and it doesn't fucking work like that like there's still fucking crime it's just that um when people commit the crime and then do the time and they come out to like try to live their life they're just like not even seen as a fucking citizen like that's what we made of exactly that system and like when people say defund the police it's because it's not like it's not even saying disband the police or reform the police it's not saying disband the police it's not saying reform the police because um like we we've been trying to do that like that's not that's like that's you can't just put a band-aid on shit and then expect it to like be better um like the whole system is is a failed system and the money needs to be like allocated to like actual communities and substance abuse programs and um education and healthcare. like it's not i mean there's all there's obviously always going to be crime like people aren't just gonna like wake up one day and be and decide to be like, oh, I'm not gonna murder someone. I mean, <laughs> I I hope that's how most people are, but like, that's not the case for everyone. Um, but like, 
I just don't understand why Republicans, like, are so against having more funding being allocated to the communities and, like, crime prevention. Like, no one wants to talk about crime prevention. Everyone's just like, oh, like, punishment, death penalty. Like, it's it's all always about, like, after the crimes are done. But, like, if you really want to talk about, like, gang activity or, like, um, like, anything to do with, like, drugs... Like, it ha- it has to start with prevention and, like... Exactly. Investing in people, not investing in punishments, like, after the fact. Exactly. Because it's proven, and it's just kind of common sense, that investing in stuff like education and housing and food availability and just, like making sure everybody has the basic necessities leads to better outcomes. But instead of doing that, we claim that, well, you're a bad person if you do a bad thing. So to keep bad people from doing bad things, we're going to punish them really hard so that they won't do bad things, which... To segue into the book real quick, because I do have a good segue yes. for that. Um, so the the book I'm I'm referring to is called Violence: Reflections on a National Epidemic by James Gilligan, M.D. Um, he big is guy. a very big guy. Um, he is a uh, therapist. He's a researcher um, who worked as a prison therapist for like over 25 years. And wrote this book about uh, violent criminals and the prison system and all the stuff like that. Um, And the Bailey, what you were saying earlier with um, how we, you know, pretend that punishment is the solution um, was really good because he talks about that on page 94, which I've marked in my notes. So this is, this is what James says. He says, As a nation, our institutions have been acting on an underlying theory of violence, which I call the rational self-interest theory. This set of assumptions pervades our criminal justice system. Rational self-interest theory assumes that those who engage in violence do so for reasons of rational self-interest and common sense. Like anyone in possession of rationality and common sense, those who commit violent acts do not want to go to prison, do not want to be subjected to physical violence themselves, and do not want to die. They will do anything to avoid any of these fates, and all we need to do to prevent violence is to threaten to punish those who would commit such acts with greater violence of our own, such as imprisonment and capital punishment. There are only four things wrong with this theory. It is totally incorrect, hopelessly naive, (laughs) dangerously misleading, and based on complete and utter ignorance of what violent people are actually like. Um, Let's just reflect on the utter ownage of the criminal justice system that James Gilligan has introduced in that two-part sentence real quick. Let's take a moment of silence. Anyway, he then goes on to say, um, this, th- this theory has very expensive consequences. First, it has led us to shift our attention and resources from prevention to punishment. So exactly what we were yes. saying. Um, not saying we should both be doctors right now, but um, I'm not not saying that. I mean, basically... Basically, 
Um, I am not saying that we do not need to use force to restrain the violent when our efforts to prevent violence by other means have failed, but this theory has distracted us from attempting to learn what actually causes violence and what conditions would be necessary in order to reduce the need for violence and from applying that knowledge to eliminating or ameliorating those conditions which lead to violence. What do you think about that? Um, oh, what I did get from that was the first part before <laughs> I zoned out was okay. just like, I mean, it's, I don't know. It seems obvious, though, like just the fact that he, he was he was acknowledging like, oh, you know, like if we have to be violent with violent people because the nonviolent measures didn't work, then like that makes sense. But like it just doesn't. I just think that so many people, like, because we're such, like, a fucking militarized police state, um, <laughs> just think that uh, we have to go, like, we just always have to go to the extremes in, in, in terms of, like, punishment. Yeah. But, like, there's just no room for people to be human at the same time when you, when you look at it like that. And, like, I don't know, it just seems so obvious that to fix crime is to prevent it not to punish people after it's been done and that clearly hasn't been working so call me call us doctors for um (laughs) for coming to that conclusion but i just i don't see how that's like such a radical idea to begin with yeah and you know people will say that oh the the crime rates have gone down in the past 50 years but First of all, the crime rates have gone down globally over the past, um, you know, century or so. So that is not a trend that is unique to our prison system. And as James uh, beautifully says, um, this book was written in like the mid 2000s, early 2000s, something like that. But um, trust me, prison system hasn't changed that much since then. So um, not only does the uh or has the murder rate in the u.s uh continually gone up uh in the years before um james wrote this book uh but as he says the murder rate in the u.s is from five to 20 times higher than it is in any other industrialized democracy even though we imprison proportionately five to 20 times more people than of any other country on earth except russia Uh, And despite or because of the fact that we are the only Western democracy that still practices capital punishment, another aspect in which we are like Russia. Um, So the argument that like our prison system has made crime better in this country is very ignorant, very, very ignorant. And also, I mean, I think we've talked about this before, but like just the fact that um this country like just loves to criminalize black people and because like i'm just thinking about um like when they see us how like the media well it's not even just in that like just the media in general like how they portray black people and the the fact that there's like a different language that's used when talking about black people and crime in black communities like just shows that like even I mean, obviously we've been to this, but like even now after everyone's like, oh, like, um, you know, racism is, is 
less prevalent than it used to be. Um, but, like, even if you were to just look at the media, like, the language, I mean, the president used it, like, just how he talks about black communities differently, and I don't know, there's, there's so much with that, like, it's just so frustrating. Um. Oh, uh, yeah, a hundred percent, and I mean, in this book, I didn't make any notes of this, but, um, he talks a lot about how the words evil and crazy are often used um, against uh, perpetrators of violent crime. Um, and the the problem with that language is that it dehumanizes them and it reduces their psyche to something that is not relevant within the, you know, actual field of psychology of violent offenders. But it's the exact same thing when people say, um, you know, the 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 protesters are just a bunch of thugs or they all come from the hood, right? It's two very different scenarios, but it's all coded in the same dehumanization, right? The end goal is Mm -hmm. the same with all that language. Yeah, like even Rachel, when she was like confronting me about posting something about, um, it it was like this infograph and it showed a bunch of like places you could donate to, um, and one of them was like bail funds for protesters and uh-huh. I forgot the name of it but she had a problem with it and was just saying like oh you want to like free these criminals and like all this stuff and I was like bruh like it just shows that I mean Shadi only watches Fox News too but it just shows right. that like people like that just distance themselves so far from people like it's just the whole dehumanization thing like that's really yeah. like the epitome of, of, or, like the root of all the problems is like if people actually just understood and like empathized and like stopped using this, this um, like coded language that just makes it so easy for people to, uh, basically other, these groups of, these whole communities like, it's just really frustrating. Yeah. Because, like, it's so transparent, but, like, they just blindly or, like, they just consume whatever they're being told without questioning it. And it's so transparent. And I'm, like, I, it's so frustrating. It makes me want to pull all of my hair out. (laughs) (laughs) Because the fact is, I want to be bald. (laughs) Oh. um, Because the fact is, like, when you think of the word criminal... You think of a character, right? You don't think of a person because there is no person that is a criminal, right? Every person is a person. You can't Mm -hmm. be a criminal. You can do something criminal, but you can't be a criminal. So even the word criminal, right, is super reductive and dehumanizing to people who are incarcerated. Yeah, because, yeah, that really just reduces them to, like, whatever they committed and, like, nothing else. Like, not that it's, like, justified or anything, but... I would even argue that when you use criminal, you usually think of it as a violent act, but it's used to generalize the entire population of prisons, which most of which are not violent, right? Or I don't know about most, but certainly a, a good portion of 
Wait, I have a pie chart. <laughs> okay, wait. Oh, really? Oh, my God. Yes. Yeah, so... Damn, okay, Shouty got the into, pie chart? <laughs> it's split up into state prison populations, loca- local jails, and federal prisons and jails. Um, uh-huh. So, okay, we'll start with state prisons just because that has the biggest population of people. So, I'd say... Oh, it doesn't have percentages. Because I'm just going to say numbers, and they're just going to be numbers to you. I wish these were... And I'm I'm going to estimate. Okay. So... Ugh, math. Okay, I'm just going to eyeball it. Let's say... <laughs> <laughs> less than half is violent. Uh, okay. A quarter-ish is property crime so theft uh burglary uh fraud and then another little quarter ish is drug it just says drug and that's broken down into drug possession um which is like a fourth of that and then uh-huh. and then it just says other drugs under that so i have no idea what there's like drug possession is one section and then it just says other drugs Right. Um, and then another chunk is like <laughs> I I'm so bad at describing this. I need s- someone who's drinking their big brain juice to look at this. Um, uh-huh. and then public order is the last chunk, and that's driving under the influence, other public order, weapons, and other. So, I mean, the main takeaway because we're talking about. Um, yeah, what is the much, main takeaway, please? Uh, how much? <laughs> okay, it's hard because there's not percentages, but basically, less than half of the population in state prisons were um, violent crimes. Okay. Were That's for a... violent crimes. Okay. Yes. So, bada bing, bada boom. That's what I was saying. Um... <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, that was a really long way to get to that. But I was just like, oh, I have that a pie chart, a... and then it's broken down in very large numbers, um, which I don't think is very. Like, it's fine to look at, but if I'm explaining it, it's just gonna not mean anything to to anyone listening. <laughs> you know what? We all appreciate your attention to detail. <laughs> and the last chunk. <laughs> <laughs> is public order (laughs) nice thank you so much bailey that was so insightful oh my god but um if you if y'all want to look at the the pie chart it's um i got it from prison policy initiative um Mm. and it's called mass incarceration the whole pie 2019 so just the whole pie you can see the whole pie. There's the state prison section, the local jails chunk. Bailey, 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 Bailey. prisons and jails chunk. Bailey, you already what? went over this. You already went over this. <laughs> Bailey? Oh, sorry, I passed away. You're talking to my ghost now. Oh. Can you, wait. R.I.P. Bailey. Can you go through walls? Anyway, that was um, episode six. Hope y'all enjoyed. Um, no, no, this is no, no, the no, last no, episode no. because I'm literally going to murder Will. Um, 
which is sad because he only lived 19 years in a day and he's gonna be dead soon um for legal reasons this is a joke but i will be killing him very soon well at least i'll figure out if ghosts can go through walls then um i do i do want to get to the book they can go through walls (laughs) they're ghosts well how how do you know that's some basic shit that everyone knows. Ghosts are like. How they, do you know that? Give me the empirical, uh, peer-reviewed study that proves that ghosts can walk through walls. Bruh. Okay, here we go. <laughs> you got it. Can ghosts walk <laughs> through walls? <laughs> Google says yes. Okay, there you go. Google says yes. Yep, I looked it up, and there's no articles. It literally just says yes. Well, Google has a democratic agenda, so let's put this to the test. I'm going to go on Bing well, real quick. Okay, on Ecosia, it also says yes. <laughs> okay, but you, have, you haven't checked Bing, which is what I'm doing right now. Uh, can ghosts... Have you not seen any movie ever? Walk through i'm not talking about media depictions bailey talking about the real thing oh my god they go through walls (laughs) that's just common knowledge that's not just how they're portrayed in media ghosts go through walls ah ah bing has the answer bing has the answer (laughs) bing says this means so this is uh uh, an article from (laughs) answerbag.com my god that says this means that a ghost must be made of matter and not energy supposing it's made of energy uh they are made of energy wait so they can no no no. okay so it says it says if it was made of energy that would explain it going through walls but it's not made ghosts are not made of energy they're made of matter they are so, made of energy no they're not made of matter then what is how it? how do you know that a solid you know that? a liquid a gas plasma actually I yeah it could, it could be plasma it could be a gas no ghosts are are energies sir how do you know that that's basic shit like it's not it's not matter they're not made up of particles they're just energy it's like an essence like ghosts are just like the spirits what about it's not some the fucking, oh my god <laughs> what about the ghost on, on the, episode in, seven we're gonna have a ghost expert on and they're gonna school will because <laughs> will obviously doesn't know shit about ghosts what about the ghost um in ghostbusters that inhabited the michelin oh man? oh 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 so you're gonna shit on me for saying that oh how the media portrays ghosts <laughs> and you're gonna you're so you're gonna source fucking <laughs> Ghostbusters, literally end the call. End the call. Ghostbusters was a documentary. I don't know what you're talking about. Oh my god. You would say that. <laughs> you would say that with your chest, huh? I don't understand what you're you're saying. Ghostbusters was a documentary. Is that not true? I can't believe our friendship only lasted a little over a year, like, or not even, <laughs> less than a year. It's been less than a year, and now it's over. That's crazy. <laughs> okay, well, I'm ending it, because you think that Ghostbusters wasn't a documentary, and You're you clearly don't respect it. No, I'm ending it. documentary filmmakers. Bruh. Like Bill Murray. I'm for real gonna punch you in your throat.
you. I'm not even gonna hug you. It's been like how how long I haven't seen you. I'm just gonna it's just gonna be a quick th- uh throw punch, and you're gonna be like just on the floor, like trying to breathe. I basically already am at this hard. point. Like I'm the one with asthma medication here, so seems like a pretty yeah. insensitive joke to make, Bailey. You'll live. <laughs> so can we can we get to the book now? <laughs> yes. But ghosts okay. can go through walls because they're energies. Okay, now you can start talking. <laughs> okay, yeah, all right. Um, okay, so we're going back to the book. And this is... So I'm not really going to get into its critiques of the prison system that much in this episode. Um, This is basically, this is how I'm going to frame this. All right. This is my plea to anybody that still calls uh, criminals crazy or evil, especially. All right. All I want out of this section is for people to come out with the impression that violent criminals are just as human as we are, all right? That's all I want. So, we are going to start at page 47. Yeah, like, my should be in jail. (laughs) But she's not. It's just a matter of getting caught. These are just regular, regular people who just got caught. (laughs) Um, Not exactly what I meant, but yes, I agree. (laughs) So Maybe cut that. Actually... She's not gonna listen to it. It's fine. I'll just I'll just censor I'll censor the part where you. My. <laughs> exactly. It's okay. You don't have to. I already, um, would be in trouble because it says Bailey Sullivan. So like, let's just send it. Oh yeah, you just want to send it? All right, I'm down. Yeah. Okay, so I want to start out page forty-seven. Just a very simple thing. Keep in mind this is a. Uh, you know, MD, 25-year veteran of therapy. He knows his shit, all right? This is what he defines as shame. The word I use in this book to refer to the absence or deficiency of self-love is shame. Its opposite is pride, by which I mean a healthy sense of self-esteem, self-respect, and self-love. When self-love is sufficiently diminished, one feels shame. Uh, Bailey, thoughts? I'm going to say that, like, after every quote, by the way, so... Get ready. Oh. I... <laughs> I was thinking about ghosts. <laughs> oh, my God. I... All right. Thanks uh, for tuning in. This has been episode so six sorry. of... It's something Gun about ghosts. shame, but I was really just thinking about ghosts. <laughs> Jesus I'm Christ, so baby. Can you just say it again? <laughs> I'll no, I'm not going to say it again. Will, I'm sorry. I... <laughs> I, we can't just go from ghost to uh, shame. Well, my, I did my a brain whole is transition. still processing ghosts. I did a whole transition. <laughs> I know. I'm just trying to excuse my zoning out because it happened so much. But then you put me on a spot because you're like, thoughts? I'm like, oh, fuck, I was thinking about ghosts. <laughs> <laughs> it's okay. It's okay. It's the moon. All right. I'll read it again. Okay, think. Okay, I'm listening. I'm listening. Okay. The word I use in this book to refer to the absence or deficiency of self love is shame. Its opposite is pride, by which I mean a healthy sense of self esteem, self respect, and self love. When self love is sufficiently diminished, one feels shame. 
Thoughts. Thoughts. Okay. <laughs> um, I think I have a whole thing with shame just because um, I like Catholic guilt is just part of me. Um, I'm working on it, but like shame is just such a like a I don't know, just like such a normal like human feeling, and it's like so shitty. But uh, okay, because really that one can just stand alone. Like that's just yeah. I mean that that's like the simplest is. one, right? That's the simplest one. Yeah. So, next point. Um, okay, so, a big point of James's research is that violence is an expression of, especially, you know, violence as extreme as murder, is an expression of someone's lack of humanity often do uh, or internalized humanity right humanity within themselves how they see themselves as human or not mm. human because of an uh an extreme amount of shame that they've experienced from one situation or another so the quote is we need to see that violence is the ultimate humiliation one that cuts so deep it can kill the soul even when it does not kill the body so there we go. Actually, I should extend that. Um, that those who kill have been murdered, quote, themselves, or else fear that they are about to be destroyed. And so they kill for what appears to them as self-defense. So not self-defense in the typical legal, physical terms, but self-defense in the uh, mental like and spiritual terms. Damn. Yeah. I mean, that makes sense. I, I mean, I never really thought otherwise, like, that people who murder people like understand humanity or like aren't already hurt like that just makes sense but i but i know that that's not like common knowledge that like a lot of people do just categorize them as criminals who are just crazy and evil and that they don't have the capacity to hurt when really that's like the reason why they acted the way they did yeah exactly and it's like it's it's we can acknowledge that extreme violence comes from emotions that many people will never experience while also acknowledging that violence comes from human emotions. If we're playing the drinking game of take a shot every time my Wi-Fi cuts out, now would be the time that you um, take a shot. So... Now we're going to talk about um, symbolic violence. So this is a little uh, gruesome. A lot of this stuff is going to be a little gruesome, but it's important. So uh, James goes into uh, a case, an individual case, um, of a man named Ross L., who was uh, 20 years old. So, quote, what had happened was this. On a cold winter night, he had run into a former high school classmate in a convenience store. As his car was broken, she offered him a ride home. And during the ride, he took out a knife and stabbed her to death. He then mutilated her eyes, cut out her tongue, and threw her out of the car. Um, He was neither stealing her money nor her car, nor had he raped her. Um, So that was the extent of his crime. And then what he says about that... um, So, again, this is one of the people that James actually interviewed multiple times as a prison uh, therapist. And Ross's... Justification for the crime, the entire crime, 
was that, quote, this is a quote from Ross now, I didn't like the way she was looking at me, and, quote, I didn't want her talking about me. So in this case, and this isn't just my conclusion, this is a conclusion that James goes on to describe, is that the nature of Ross's violence, cutting out her eyes and her tongue, was specifically motivated by um, the specific ways that he felt um, she uh, put shame onto him, right? She looked at me funny, I cut out her eyes because that made me feel shame. She talks about me, she talks bad about me, I cut out her tongue because that makes me feel shame, right? It's very specific and pointed in that way. That's like, and you know, that's a very, uh, that's a reoccurring theme in this book. And then we go on to page 66 for a juicy quote on collective symbolic violence. The fact that Ross L. focused his attention and hostility on his victim's eyes and tongue is a valuable clue to his corresponding preoccupation with and morbid hypersensitivity to the fear of being overwhelmed by shame and ridicule, and that at least suggests the plausibility of looking further to see if there's evidence that it might be this fear which ultimately motivated not only this particular murder, but all aggressive, apparently unprovoked violence. If Ross L. is at all typical of other murderers, then we would have to conclude that the most dangerous men on earth are those who are afraid that they are wimps. Wars have been started for less. What do you think about that? Um, we love toxic masculinity. Oh. That's what I have to say about that. We gonna get into toxic masculinity. (laughs) I mean, the fact is that you know, 93, 95, I don't know exactly what the number is, but something around that, of violent crimes are committed by men. Yeah. I wonder why. I mean, there's just so much to, like, I don't know, like, talk about when it comes to, like, just how we raise men or boys. Um, Yeah. Like, it's so much, like, emotional suppression and... Um, like they have to be tough and you can't be sensitive or you can't have a a feminine side and you can't care for things like um I mean like like how would we expect different results because like we don't equip young men or boys or men to deal with emotions and to rationalize things um which is a completely normal and good and healthy thing to do so like it makes complete sense when I mean obviously I I I wouldn't do this um but (laughs) that he you know was cutting out her eyes and her tongue because he was it was like a it was just self-preservation like he didn't want to have to deal with those emotions he didn't want to have to feel shame because of someone else and how they would make him feel um I don't know, it just goes to show, like, how we really need to change everything, like, change the narrative of, like, what it means to be a man, and, like, because at the end of the day, it's just, like, well, maybe if we just talked about, like, what it meant to be human and to, like, be emotionally intelligent, that we would just have way better outcomes of, like, how 
people function in society. Exactly. No, you're you're on the nose because that's exactly the same conclusion that James comes to is that all violence is explainable based on a certain set of circumstances that a person has gone through. Because with violent criminals, again, this is another thing that he talks about, they all think what they did was completely rational, right? Yeah. Like, they don't see a reason why they wouldn't commit whatever crime because it's just a very instinctive thing based on these emotions of shame and, yeah, just shame is the big one. So, exactly. I mean, it's, it's not even exclusive to, I mean, obviously, to, like, murderers, but, like, even uh, just abusive people, like, who oh, yeah. don't, like, there's people in my own family who, like, took to violence to, as, like, a, I don't even know if it was a coping mechanism or it was just, like, a natural response. And the people who I know who are violent, um they aren't emotionally intelligent they can't have a conversation without it being like super rational or without you know giving people ultimatums or lashing out like it's it's just so clear that they weren't taught how to deal with certain emotions and they weren't taught how to deal with like certain situations or certain people or like literally the fact they would hear certain things being said about them or to them and their initial response is to you know either act violently or or even just like scream and yell like it's not limited to men it's just like how people are raised in uh what they're taught like i i mean obviously the numbers say that it's like more men commit violent crimes but that's just because generally they're taught to suppress their emotions that that they're not allowed to cry that you know they're not allowed to show um physical affection like that's just yeah i mean it's the whole premise of toxic masculinity like that's just how it's playing out at the end of today and it's not just that you know we i mean i guess they're one and the same it's just like more specifically like you know we don't just say to dudes like oh just don't show emotion it's like when they do show emotion you know, the, the public will shame them and their family will shame yeah. them. Right. Um, and it's and not I've... even an old fashioned thing either. Like literally the generation or I, not, not my parents, but like there's people in my life who are my parents age who, um, literally just will not cry in front of people because, you know, oh, they yeah. think that it's like weakness or they're like constantly apologizing and they think it's like the end of the world if if we see them cry and they have to wait till it's something like horrible for them to you know get to that point yeah absolutely and i i'm we're very close to getting to the um the uh patriarchy tangent as i have marked in my notes but i i I need to get like one or one or two more um examples out of the way just to establish a a good base okay okay so the next one the next one was the one i talked about earlier the rational self-interest theory of violence Mm -hmm. um oh wait sorry no i skipped one so page 77 i'm I'm making sure to get some audio of these page turns to to spice up the podcast i'm just i'm just turning pages at random now (laughs) oh so clean okay 
So, um, so this is a portion where um, James is talking about a murderer named Steinberg who was at trial, and the um, uh, as Steinberg was delivering a self-exculpatory plea for a light sentence in the course of which he described himself as the victim, and instead of expressing guilt for Killian's daughter, oh, he killed his daughter, yeah, ugh. Um, He said he had remorse for himself for losing his own life. Um, He interrupted himself to accuse the judge of laughing at him. The judge replied that he was not laughing at the defendant, he was merely astonished at what he was saying. These personality traits are, in my experience, the main motives for violence. The fear and shame, or, or sorry, the fear of shame and ridicule, and the overbearing need to prevent others from laughing at oneself by making them weep instead. So, Damn. that is a very overarching statement, but I think, you know, pretty damn accurate, if I say so for myself. Got it, got it, got it. Yeah. But they're connected, so. so. Anyway, yeah. um,. Damn. <laughs> so one. again, I I think that's Damn, that's, that's one crazy. of the <laughs> no, I mean I think that's one of the more self-evident ones, right? That seems yeah obvious. That it's just up. good to put it into words. <laughs> yeah, that adds up. <laughs> so now, this is okay. This is wild. This is this is the patriarchy tangent. We're officially into the patriarchy tangent. Um, I skipped some stuff that that started to get into the prisons because I think we're, we're already going for a good amount of time. Um, so we'll just end with this and then we'll talk about prisons more next time. Oh, but, so, in this case, um, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. Okay, so, here's the quote. Many of the violent criminals who fill our maximum security prisons would like us to believe that they want to escape, and they need to believe that themselves. They desperately want to feel that they are big, tough, independent, self-assertive, self-reliant men so as to not feel needy, helpless, frightened, inadequate, unskilled, incompetent, and often illiterate. It is essential that we understand the psychology, for we will never understand violence and violent criminals until we see through what it is in truth a defensive disguise. I think that part's important. And until we understand mm-hmm. violence, we cannot prevent it. Literally, as you're reading that, I instantly thought of my <laughs> Like, that's literally how he is. Right. Like, if I were... Like, that just... I, that instantly made me think of him. Um, yikes. <laughs> <laughs> and, I mean, the thing, the thing with that is, is that you know, a lot of those um, traits that he lists started are not necessarily bad. Like, you could say they're not necessarily good, like needy or, like, obviously some of them are, are probably not good, like helpless or unskilled, right? But, you know, needy or frightened or illiterate, those aren't inherently bad qualities, right? And all of these are qualities that, as a person, you can work on. Um, essentially what he's saying here is the, and, uh, a thing that, um, he says a little before this is that, uh, 
men often, and I guess people in general, but again, this book is mainly talking about violent criminals, which is mainly men, so I'm, I'm probably going to say men a lot. Um, but we'll say people. Um, often feel shame for feeling shame about things that they perceive as small or, um, uh, yeah, just small or, fuck, inconsequential. Um, like being illiterate, right? There's a whole story that he has about this prisoner who was illiterate and he never told anybody. And then um, James gave him like some papers to sign. And obviously at that point he had to tell James that he couldn't read. And James was like, oh, great. So now we can send him to the, um, you know, if this is a a point of self-contention or self-loathing, then we can just send him to the uh, school that we have in the prison and he can learn how to read and he can feel good about himself. But the dude yeah. wouldn't step anywhere near the school because then other people would mm. know that he was illiterate. Oh, I see. I mean, I think that's a very normal feeling to have. Like, that's very... I don't know, just like that fear of of having to feel shame like isn't that far off for for people like if you can apply that to like other it's like i don't know not even smaller scale but just like other situations exactly exactly like it's just so normal yeah i mean basically the whole point is that you know these emotions that we feel every day can result in um people taking actions that we don't see every day and that are really horrible but the emotions themselves are normal as anything else you know um so now this is where it gets really wild this when i read this again i've i've read this book before um i'm just rereading it um to you know take notes and stuff but this shit is wild okay so this is talking about domestic abuse now um So he's talking about the ways that we have tried to solve domestic violence. These innovations have taken a variety of forms, changing the laws so as to facilitate the divorce process, changing legal and social mores concerning women's rights, providing adequate employment and income so as to make it easier for battered wives to leave abusive husbands, and some 1,200 special shelters for battered women serving more than 300,000 women and children a year enable them to leave their violent husbands and to take their children with them. So hundreds of thousands of women who previously would have had to remain in abusive, violent, and dangerous relationships can now leave their husbands or at least make a credible threat to leave. Now, before this, he goes over a case of a man, I think named Walter T., um, Yes, so a man named Walter T, who was very concerned with his ability to provide for himself um, and was ashamed of the fact that he often would have to um, go and form a relationship with a woman who could help provide for him and, um, you know, keep him on his feet. Yeah, okay. So he just murdered his wife. That's his only that's his only crime that he's done. There was another one where it there was like a repeat offender, but that's a different thing, kind of. So he murdered his wife. Um because he was ashamed that he depended on her so much. 
And then the quote on this page continues. What changes have occurred since these innovations? Before these changes were introduced, the number of husbands killing wives was about equal to the number of wives killing husbands. Suddenly, a few years ago, twice as many wives were being killed as husbands. It would be difficult to make sense of this paradoxical finding that the proportion of women being killed in spousal homicides has actually doubled precisely at the point when, for the first time, women have a variety of ways to leave abusive, violent relationships, except by concluding that a wife's ability to leave her husband was being experienced by him as an intolerably threatening abandonment leading to murder. Hmm. So, again, I, I, he's not like, you know, disavowing um, laws that allow women to leave her husbands, their husbands, because that's not the problem, right? The problem is that the husbands feel so trapped by, maybe not necessarily trapped, but um, feel so ashamed of their dependence on their wives, which is um, societally claimed as a feminine trait, dependence, um, that they resort to extreme violence to resolve that emotion. Hey, hey, how y'all doing? Um, This is Bailey from the future, and I wanted to replace part of what I said in the podcast because I started to tell a very personal story that I'm not comfortable putting on the podcast yet, Um, but basically my whole point um, of telling the story was just to say that the solution for preventing domestic violence isn't just providing a way out for people being abused, um, but the solution has to include fostering healthy emotional intelligence and instilling healthy behavior in people at a young age, like for everyone, um, in order to prevent people from growing up to be abusive or violent. And that's not exclusive to men. That's just something that um, I feel, and I'm sure Will agrees, that just needs to be talked about at a young age for everyone just needs to be part of the conversation um so yeah that's it um maybe i'll come back on a later episode and talk about the story again but i'm not quite ready bruv so yeah carry on sorry (laughs) i'm sorry i just i've been sitting on this for like five minutes and then i didn't make it and then we went forward and now i have to come back um and it's it's that sitting on it and it's that um, pretending that it doesn't exist that ultimately makes it worse because you're not treating it with the importance and the effect that it does have. Yes. <laughs> okay, that's my point. I'm done. Sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. I was just like, I disagree like a lot. <laughs> no, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, every, everything you said was good. I just needed to come back to that for a sec. Um. Well, I think that's a good stopping point. I mean, we've gone about two hours, so it's probably a lot less than that because we had some stuff in the beginning. But um, yeah, yeah. Are we? Um, I'm not even gonna ask. Do we have our plugs ready? Because I know we don't. <laughs> yeah, um, I only have a petition. Oh, you have a petition. The plug. Yeah, it's another one for Brianna Taylor, but it's the um the petitions.whitehouse.gov one. 
So okay. it's a little bit yeah. more direct than the um, change.org ones. But this one is, um, and you can just look up We the People Brianna Taylor petition. Um, mm-hmm. And it's calling to fire, charge, and arrest John Mattingly, Brett, okay, her murderers, I don't want to say their names, um, and to suspend True. their pensions. True. Um, and for the Attorney General of Kentucky to conduct a transparent investigation of the Louisville Police Department and to pass Senator Rand Paul's bill to federally ban no-knock warrants because the warrant was um, passed, but only in that state. So it needs to be on right. a federal level for obvious reasons. Obviously. Never, never thought we would be shouting out Rand Paul on this show, but... Here we are. Here we are. <laughs> um, let's get a place to donate. Um, Maybe let's what's... get some more bail funds in here. <laughs> yeah, we could do a bail fund. We could do a um, maybe a a New York bail fund. Maybe. Okay. Because there was, I don't know how widespread it is, but. I, I suspect there's going to be a lot of protests in New York coming up because they just had um, one of those unmarked vans come and uh, scoop somebody up. That so. is so bonkers that that's just like a normal thing that's happening in the U.S. right now. Like, right? That sounds like some made-up shit. Like, oh, yeah, sure. White unmarked vans are coming up and picking people up who are protesting or whatever and... And then they go missing. <laughs> like, no, that's a real thing. And I then fuckers that claim to be for oh, freedom of speech and freedom of the press and freedom to assemble and freedom, freedom, freedom are like, oh, well, they were uh, thugs and criminals. So <laughs> it's fine. Uh, we it's don't fine. need to do anything about that. Um, fascism is not already encroached on this country it will only encroach on this country if we let china and russia into our uh domestic affairs which we already did by electing (laughs) trump because russians meddled in that election and very much it's so wild how trump thinks russia is his ally and sucks vladimir putin off any chance he can get (laughs) when literally vladimir putin tried and I mean, maybe it, he would have gotten elected even if Putin hadn't interfered, right? Because America's fucking racist anyway. But um, I lost my original point because I got mad at America being racist. Um, like, Putin interfered in that election because he knew Trump would destabilize the country and look what the fuck happened. Like, for real. Look what happened. In and conclusion, thinks, we hate it here. <laughs> yes, in conclusion, we hate it here. Um, is there... Hold on, we didn't even actually find the... Fun. I have one new... for... Um, it's a Brooklyn Community Bail Fund. Okay, um, yeah. You could just literally look that up, and that's what it's called, so... Okay. <laughs> Good. Uh, podcast? Oh, god damn it. I literally listened to a podcast and it was so good and I didn't save it. That is tough. <clears throat> um, okay, well you can plug something while I try to find this. Yeah, so 
uh, podcast I'm going to uh, plug today is called Higher Learning by The Ringer. Um, it is hosted by Van Lathan and Rachel Lindsay, um, and they just talk about uh, current events, kind of just like we do, except they're a lot better at it than us. So go listen to them <laughs> after you listen to us, of course, because... I mean, yes. we're Will Margulis and Bailey Silver, so we just kind of have that appeal for you. But um, they are they are genuinely really good at what they do, and uh, you will learn a lot from that podcast, which has learning in the name. So, okay, I'm just gonna plug Code Switch again because I can't fucking find the <laughs> the podcast that I was okay. talking about. Oh, here it is. It was on Code Switch. Wow. Uh-huh. Okay. Listen to um the episode's called Remembering the Divine Diane Carroll. And it's a very wholesome episode that's not super fucking depressing. And you should listen to it and yeah, it's kind of uplifting. And Diane Carroll was such a queen and she was so funny and I wish I could have met her before she passed away cuz I think we would be buds awesome (laughs) um and uh two songs two songs i can go first if you need okay go ahead (laughs) sorry i'm a fucking mess (laughs) (laughs) you know what it's okay all right let's uh shuffle my lit playlist oh yeah this is going uh so if y'all are fans of classic hip-hop, um, boom-bap shit, uh, Role Model by Eminem is a fucking great song. Very funny. Definitely um, some parts in it that are not suitable for general audiences. but um, <laughs> And maybe that's a bit of an understatement. But very, very good song. Good flows, good rhyme scheme. Everything about it. And uh, next song we got here is... A bit of a classic, if I may say myself. Is that the? Is that how you say it? If I may say, if I may say so myself. Um, too much by the game. Um, I'm not gonna say anything about this track. Just go and play it. <laughs> okay. Um, mine is the first one is called um, "The Seed 2.0" um, by The Roots and. Um, I literally, that song is immaculate. Like, I just feel like such a bad bitch listening to that song. Like, I just feel so cool. Okay. <laughs> um, and then, hmm. And Pretty Bitch Freestyle by Sweetie. Um. <laughs> All right. Very much. Okay. And that's it. Great. Well, that has been episode six. Of... I feel like. Bailey, can, just... can I just do the outro? Can I just do the yeah, outro? Yeah, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> so this has been episode six of Gun Girl's Diaper. Thank you all for tuning in. We love you all, especially Eleanor Margulis. Love you the most. Um, Very much. And bye-bye.